Hello, welcome to the Ilone Show. I'm your host, John Ilone. And this episode, I have brought on regulars, Faithy, and maybe eventually, Andrew Shatkin. Now, as for our guest, he was born in North Macedonia, but currently lives in London in the United Kingdom. He is a TEDx speaker, international award-winning author, speaker, filmmaker, life and business transformation coach, specializing in human behavioral and authority on the physiology of breaking through perceived limits, maximizing human and business potential, and operating at high levels of achievement, balance, and energy. Oh, that was a lengthy one. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Tony Salimi. Hello, hello. Great to have you here. So, how's life? Life's been incredibly busy, but also wonderful. We've got a better weather outside here in London, and I just got back from Spain. Oh, cool, cool. And uh, have you been up to much recently? Yes, I mean, uh, uh, I've been teaching my uh, training program called Vital Planning in Spain, and uh, recently I've pretty much um, been busy uh, creating some uh, transformational products for my clients, but also... Uh, I just finished my sixth book. Wow. Sixth book. That That is wild. Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, tell me more about the books you've written. Well, in 2008, 2009, following the big financial crisis, back then I used to work in technology. I used to run um, massive technology programs. So, you know, as the crisis worsened, uh, I was the last one to be made redundant in the company I was working back then. And it's almost like I had this deeper desire to combine almost 20 years of deep studies, science, research, engineering, psychology, technology, and to go out there and help people. So I did a form of little mini MBA course and through which I first published my first book, A Path to Wisdom how to live a balanced, healthy, and peaceful life. And uh, following the publishing of that book, it went global. It won many uh, um, global awards. I started to really work and train as a coach, as a consultant, and speak at amazing events around the world. And then I started really noticing uh, uh, the changes, the transformation that people are having as a result of the methodology that they were using that I shared in the book and the principles which are shared in the book. So that gave me sort of even more confidence into going out there and making a bigger difference in the world. And uh, being an engineer, I love solving problems. And one of the things as uh, more technology and social media took over, I saw how people are even more lonely. And, you know, we had cases with increased cases with suicide, depression, anxiety, anger, divorce rates. People are not talking anymore on the streets or to a stranger when you travel somewhere. So I really wanted to tackle the science of loneliness and why is it that people go in those states of um, self-destruction and how loneliness pretty much impacts your mental, your emotional, your physical well-being. And, you know, it's been proven even um, with a lot of research and study out there that loneliness is worse than even smoking a whole pack of cigarettes every single day. So I wrote my second book, which was Hashtag Loneliness, uh, the virus of the modern age, to give people another tool for really uh, um, coming out of that social isolation or mental isolation and pretty much support the campaign to end loneliness. Because, you know, it is something that 
uh, back in Macedonia, uh, when I was young, I met Mother Teresa, and she was huge on that. So I really wrote this book about loneliness back then. Okay. Uh, uh, Peter, I just want to introduce myself. Is it all right? Yes, go ahead. Uh, yes, uh, Tony, uh, my name is Andy Shatkin. I may uh, sort of help uh, Peter in his broadcast, or I'm a co-host. And um, I wonder if you could fill me in, because I was a little late coming in, and I'm really sorry. You've written two books, right? I've actually written five books, and this is the sixth book I've just completed. That's fantastic. Those are the books. I'm very, I'm very enthusiastic. Uh, uh, I'm very interested in books, and I think it's, it's great you've done that. Uh, tell me, you say you're from Macedonia, right? Yes, I was born in Macedonia. I moved to England after uh, during the civil war in former Yugoslavia at the age of 19. That is northern Greece, correct? Well, yes, it's located over northern Greece, but it's a country on its own now. Oh, it's a country on its own. Now tell me, Peter, can, I, uh, can you fill me in on the names of these books, if you don't mind, just for a few minutes? Yeah, so... Sure. So go ahead, Tony. What are the names of the first book? The first book is It's a Path to Wisdom, How to Live a Balanced, Healthy, and Peaceful Life. Then I wrote the next book called Hashtag Loneliness, The Virus of the Modern Age. Then I co-authored a book with a few other global leaders called Fit for Purpose Leadership, book number three, where I talk about burnout, specifically in the corporate world. Then I wrote my uh, next book called The Unfakeable Code, which I wrote it during covid take back control, lead authentically, and live freely on your terms. And then I felt called to write some poems, which I've been writing for a while in the background. Really? That's wonderful. So I published those poems as well. And I just finished my next book called A Path to Excellence. Well, I got to get these books. Uh, I think uh, they're very, I'm sure they're of great value and interest. And I'm always interested in someone who's creatively contributing to society, which you're doing. I have to ask you, uh, Tony, uh, you're right about the phenomenon in our present, in present, at least in Western society, of loneliness. Uh, do you believe that the reason for this might be this uh, takeover of our culture, uh, facing out print and moving into electronic uh, presentations? These, uh, do you think that it may be the reason? Well, I mean, you uh, you uh, you hit a nail. Uh, on the head in there, because basically as the technology started really taking over our daily lives and everything that we do today involves technology, people lost this connection with themselves, but also with the people being able to simply have a conversation without technology. So we become That's more right. reliant to technology, but there are many other elements that infuse loneliness. You know, when we have economical crisis, people can withdraw and can create tremendous loneliness when your partner dies, for instance. So if you've been with your partner for many years, there's a massive loneliness in the process of grieving. You know, when you go into the corporate world and you know you work like I do with different uh, executives and teams, and I work myself in the corporate world, when you have people where perhaps they are not uh, extrovert and being able to express themselves freely with other people and authentically, and they are introverts, there's some loneliness in that gap. You know, when you go, uh, you know, I take the underground and, and sometimes even uh, the public transport or when I travel around the world, people are simply not talking to themselves. They're not, you know. You go to restaurants, there's a whole family and they're all on their devices, not talking to each other. So 
let's. You, I think you really have got a real major point here. Uh, you, I, I have noticed this, and you notice it to do. People do not converse. They do not engage in conversation. Not only do they not engage in conversations, but they don't talk about anything of substance, anything, anything, any major intellectual issue or or thought is not talked about. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, we have seen over the last, let's say, 10 years, the different changes that we see, whether it's in political uh, sphere, whether it's in global issues, whether it's environment, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, NHS, you know, my partner works for the NHS. There are millions of issues that uh, nobody's really talking about it. But also at the family level, at the social friendship level, exactly what you said, Andrew, people don't have a, a substantial conversation that leads to change or leads to deeper connection with somebody else. You you mentioned something else that I, you really got to the point here. Uh, in our in Western society, at least in the United States, people do not engage in friendship. They do not. They have no friends. They don't want it. They don't want any connections. They don't want to know anybody. They don't want to converse with anybody. They don't want an interchange. They don't want anything to do with anybody. Correct. Yes, I mean, I, in the hashtag loneliness book, I even um, went to study some of the top scientists who actually study loneliness. And, you know, when Mother Teresa came to America, when a reporter stopped her, and she actually shared, saying that, you know, America might be rich when it comes to products, when it comes to, you know, lifestyle and stuff like that, but it's very poor with human connection. And some of the data uh, suggests that for, if you were to measure loneliness back in the 2000 to 2010, you know, uh, there was one in five uh, people you could uh, confined about your issues, stuff like that. But after 2010, it's zero. So you you're exactly right, Andrew, that a lot of people in America are pretty much isolated from one another. Now, you gave a very valid reason, this electronic culture, which has, I'm not saying it isn't good or, or bad, good or bad about it, it is what it is, but it has taken over our society, essentially. Yes, I mean, I, I, I'm an engineer, I, you know, I study science, and but also I love spirituality. So, you know, while I appreciate what you said as well, because technology can enable us to do amazing things. Okay. However, however, uh, people have lost that balance. They have lost, uh, and majority of people use technology in a way that is self-destructive. They're not using it for the greater good of them, uh, their well-being, their society, their family, and global issues. So, you know, technology can be very, very dangerous, especially now that we have behavioral science technology. People can end up spending hours and hours wasting on technology and never creating a human connection. Let me ask you this, uh, Tony. This is a very interesting conversation. I'm really finding it quite useful. And you're filling me in on a lot of areas that I may have given some thought to. Do you think two factors for this lack of this loneliness is the secularization of our society. Religious belief, I'm not saying you have to be religious, I don't say that. But when you do not have a religious input, it is another factor in separating people. Well, I mean, all of those things separate people, Andrew. It's, you know, it's very sad to observe that we have political leaders who, even in today's world, they use the old methodology, divide and conquer. You know, right. we. 
you know, when you look at how much amazing work humanity has done, how many amazing books by amazing people out there, so how much training is available out there, it's really uh, uh, amusing for me to see that leaders compete with another leader instead of actually leading authentically. This is what leads me, this is why during COVID, I sat down and I said at the beginning of the COVID, I knew this is going to last for years. So most people said it's going to pass. Most people didn't even think in UK back then that we're going to go into lockdown. I predicted this three months before anything happened. So during that period, I sit down and I said, what are some of the global issues that the pandemic will actually create? And as a result of that, it really inspired me to write about authenticity. And authenticity and loneliness, isolation, segregation, all of this is linked. Why? Because the more you polarize a person, the more the mind is polarized, the more biases the mind it has, the more isolated you become. And also the more you divide people. But you know, when you ask people whether it's somebody from a specific religion or somebody from specific culture, they all believe in love. They all believe in connection. They all speak the words, but they don't act the words. Let me ask you this, Tony. Uh, I'm sure you, you're a writer and you know this far better than me. There has been a decline. There was a time when people read very, very, what is considered today somewhat difficult, complex works. It could be Tolstoy, uh, whoever it is. <laughs> I they, read Tolstoy. <laughs> yeah, yes, they did read those books. Now, maybe, they, maybe the reading public was, was more elite. I don't know. But books like that, when people don't read that those substantive kind of books, uh, it makes it it makes it it make it divides a society even more. They're not using their minds. When you don't use your mind. You uh, everybody, the whole society is pulled down. Yes, I mean, Andrew, that's a beautiful point. Why? Because I believe in nurturing our mind. You know, today society has been almost uh, reprogram people to, you know, pretty much look outside of themselves rather than sort of nurturing one of the biggest, uh, I would say, uh, creators of our reality, which is our mind. And, you know, I love reading books. And, you know, back when I was working in engineering and technology, I mean, I read so many books on different uh, subjects. Right. And for me, my mind enriched, my body, mind and heart healed as a result of so many amazing authors out there, both from West and East because I love to have this objective view about life and being able to go and study in detail. But nowadays, I don't see people having books, especially the young generations. No, they don't. Hours and hours on their devices. But also what I see, Andrew, some of my clients are very affluent clients. Those people spend on a daily basis one to two hours reading, which is something that inspired me 30 years ago to pursue the path to excellence, something that I'm writing today. And I just finished that book. And I, I believe with all of my heart, the book is what transforms our minds. And if That's we right. nurture our minds with books consistently, we open up our uh, so many possibilities of way of thinking and connecting and getting closer together, but also collaborating and also solving the very same global issues we collectively create. Let me ask you this, Tony. Uh, um, I read a book by written about 1943, which was before television, okay, by a fellow named Mortimer Adler. He was a University of Chicago professor. He said, it's called How to Read a Book. He said in his book that people who depend for their 
knowledge acquisition on images, whether movies, television. At that time, they didn't have computers, really. He says it's a drug. He says you is is you are being subject to being drugged, and he made the comment that you made that no learning can any complex thinking must occur in, in, in connection with print. That's my opinion. Yes, I mean it's uh, this a valid again valid another wonderful valid point. Why? Because why visuals are important. They don't actually encourage critical thinking. No, this don't. is what's been happening in the society. We are bombarded by visuals. I mean, all you have to do is go to Times Square in New York. That's a perfect example of visual rape. I call it a visual rape, and I talk about it in in some of my books. That basically, you know, when you are visually raped, and if you don't have the mind, and you, if you don't have the programming within the mind, because you've read so many different uh, genres of books, and you have some kind of uh, updated programming in your head, this visual rape can affect you mentally, can affect you emotionally, can affect you how you view the world, can affect you how you speak to people and how you perceive reality. Let me ask you this, Tony. You're you're a writer, and you deal. You have chosen to still function in print, okay? Mm-hmm. In terms of your thinking and presentation. However, uh, do you believe that we are moving to a society based on images? Well, I mean, we have been having society based on images. Uh, however, now this society is pretty much, I would say, exponentially overloaded with images. Not just with images, you know, with sound as well. Because we get sound input and visual input every single day. And, you know, it's sort of, while... Again, I love technology for the wonderful gifts it brings us. That's right. What what people, uh, it's wise to do is to encourage their young children, but also anybody out there, whether you're an adult or young, to daily devote some time to read. Reading is extremely important for our most wonderful organ, our brain. So, you know, it gives you a whole, I see, uh, you know, for me, brain is like a library. So, uh, you know, uh, if you ask somebody when I speak or I train somewhere, you know, especially if they, uh, I'm invited in schools to encourage children to, to read, I ask them a simple question. So if you go into a room with one book and you go to a room with a library of books, and let's say you have a different problems, and let's say you have 100 problems that the library gives you, but one book doesn't give you, which one would you go? It's a no-brainer for them to choose the library. Let me ask you this, Tony. I want to get your thoughts on this. Tony, uh, uh, Jamie, uh, uh, Peter, do you mind my asking these questions? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Well, um, do you believe that uh, if people... Technology will develop the brain, I think, in a certain kind of thinking. Correct? Well, technology... mode of thinking. Yes, technology works on certain parts of the brain. That's right. Yes. Do you think we are moving into a new concept of literacy where technology will be the, the mode of literacy or definition of literacy and books will not no longer be as much required or needed or even consulted as they used to be? Um, if you haven't uh, read Hashtag Loneliness, I will definitely recommend you to read Hashtag Loneliness. And in there, there's a specific chapter called Technological Armageddon. And on that, I actually delivered a TED talk. So you can even uh, check my TEDx talk on the TED platform. I will. I'd like to see it. 
called technological Armageddon. And in there, it's pretty much it's, uh, the reason uh, I delivered this talk. I met with the TED conference uh, uh, organizer, and he opened up the book straight into the chapter, Technological Armageddon, without even reading it. He saw loneliness, technology, and said to me, you're going to open my conference with this talk. So, And I delivered that talk. And in there, it's almost like a, a warning to humanity. Uh, basically that uh, currently and in the last, because this was, I, I published the book in 2016. This is like six years down the line. But the book is relevant today and it will be relevant in the future. Why? Because more and more we're getting closer to the gap where artificial intelligence surpasses human intelligence. And before this was a science fiction. Now it's no longer science fiction. You know, we're only looking at Elon Musk where successfully they implanted a piece of technology that can uh, direct the pig what to do and, and tell it where to go. And the next step is for those trials to go into uh, humans. And, you know, if we go forward 10 years, 20 years down the line, we'll be at a point where pretty much we'll be able to download somebody else's brains in our head. So while this used to be in science fiction, we're actually getting closer to that science fiction being our reality. So, you know, the whole thing about books, literacy, learning, everything will be changing so rapidly that society is not prepared for that change. What is going to, well, let me ask you this, Tony. Uh, I know you can get, get, give me an insight in answer to this question. Unless we move, we, we, we move into the world of young people, their world is different from that of an adult, okay? I think. But do if they are not guided to books and have a sole diet of technology, what's going to happen to them? I mean, we've already seen those results, Andrew. We have children, I mean, especially in America, the biggest problem is you get children who get prescribed very serious drugs, Okay, and uh, you know, I've I've had clients who work with me. Their eight years old child has been uh, subscribed with antidepressant drugs. So you know, we have all of those issues. We have the issues when it comes to you know uh, uh, dropping literacy rates in America, for instance, because I'm involved in a documentary called The Truth About Reading, and I'm executive producer of that documentary. It will be coming out in September. It will be released. And you have all of those anger issues, all of those gun issues, all of those political divisions, uh, religious, uh, creed divisions, and, uh, you know, societal problems that at the root of that, it's uh, um, when people are not being encouraged to develop their brain. And the only way to develop your brain, your awareness, your cognition, your critical thinking is for sure reading and learning. Those are two two things that we must do every single day. But now, it, go ahead. But if adults don't don't intervene with children's diet of knowledge, gaining through technology, unless there's an intervention in our school system or something, I would assume it'll occur in the school system. What is going to happen to these kids? Well, the reality is they're going to become numb. You know, I believe that even today we have children living in a coma which are not in touch with reality. You know, they are leaving this illusion of what reality is. That's and right. the, longer, the longer we leave that, the bigger the problems will end up in education system, in leadership, in business, in society, in schooling, in healthcare. Because why? Because they're all interconnected. You know, when you have a child who's not empowered to, uh, 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 to develop their cognition and be self-aware about those issues in themselves, they become pretty much... Uh, um, 
uh, a drag on society. And um, yeah, go ahead. I'm listening. And when you have more children like that, you know, every aspect of society will be impacted negatively, not positively. So we have a choice to make and consistency to make to ensure education uh, of many issues uh, start at a very young age. Let me ask you this, Tony. You made some very, you give me a lot of very insights and information, which I'm very grateful. However, I say this, uh, uh, technology is not verbal, correct? It is not verbal thinking. And when people don't verbally think in their minds through, hold on, I have to see. Hello? When people don't verbally think in their mind, what kind of thinking are they going to do? Yes, not just what kind of thinking, but actually there will be a decrease of their brain, frankly. You know, what people don't realize, like for instance, recently there was a publish on uh, BBC that 2% of the brain mass has been lost uh, in majority of the people who had COVID. Now, uh, 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 when we link that with learning, when we link that with consistently feeding your brain, if children are not reading, there'll be a decrease in the brain uh, mass. Let me ask you this, Tony. I want to get your insights on this. If if the brain has a sole diet of technology, you could probably tell me better than anybody what will happen to that person's thinking. Well, as I said, you know, this... uh, um, danger uh, ahead of us. It, it's present, it's ahead of us. Why? Because uh, let's say the uh, children are consistently bombarded with technology. They will use their sense of identity. They will use the sense of being what it means to be a human being. Mm. You know, and in, in the TEDx talk, I, 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 there's a uh, phrase line that the only jewel in the crown of life is love. And, you know, the world is not lacking technology, it's not lacking resources, it's not lacking ideas, it's not lacking, you know, places to go. It's lacking human connection and love. That's right. Do and you with believe, love and human connection, you, we can change the world. I think you made some very good points. I think you really honed in on a very important point, that technology, maybe, maybe, I'm not sure, you could tell me more about this, The maybe a barrier to love. Well, as I said, it can be it can be a door opener. For instance, today with technology, we can go into a dating website and meet somebody for sure. But it's not a substitute for the real connection that leads to love. It's a door opening. If you if you are that a lonely person, it gives you an opportunity to meet anybody anywhere in the world. Who and also, is that is that a connection, a dating site? That is an impersonal encounter. We yes. barely know each other. So and how can there be love in this situation? That's why I said it's only a door opener. It's not the ingredients for love. It does not replace the human connection that leads to love. But it can actually open a door that let's say 100% we have love. Technology can be the 1% that pretty much if you're lonely, you don't know anybody, you have more opportunities for you to meet somebody anywhere around the world and start that process. But it's not something that you do via mobile phone. Mobile phone or technology can enable you the first meet, but it does not create everything that you need to create that bond that eventually leads into beautiful, loving relationship. Why, Tony? You answered this question. I know you'll be able to answer it. Why can't people make find a connection and find love 
in their immediate environment? Why do they have to go to a dating site? Why do they have to put in a personal ad? Why do they, why do they have to take recourse to all these artificial methodology? Why can't they simply connect with someone in the immediate environment? Because over the years of developing the technology, what technology has done has made a lot of people lazy, but also has made a lot of people introverts, and also it has made a lot of people be suspicious of people. And the list goes on. So, you know, it's in a way we've been programmed to think that technology is the only way we can connect. And that is the problem. So technology, as I said, is just a door opener, but it's one of a trillion opportunities and possibilities. But most Why people... can't that person in their immediate physical environment connect in love with another person? Well, there are many different things, you know, um, love chemistry. I will tell you one thing that my, my mom and my dad told me, and that is that, uh, you know, you don't uh, know love until you've been with that partner for 10 years. Right. And when you go through all the um, in and outs of relationships, the good and the bad, and you consistently grow together through the good and the bad, eventually that will lead you in love. The problem is majority of people think love is one-sided illusion, one-sided equation, which means you feel love only when somebody supports you. But the moment that person, that partner challenges you, you feel like they're rejecting you, you withdraw, you do all of those different emotional states that come from your inner hurt and all the different uh, protective mechanisms. You know, uh, love is a fusion of all of those things. But for the person who wants love, they have to overcome the mental barrier of duality uh, and uh, the way we interact with duality. Uh, you know, a lot of people have the concept of yin and yang, but yin and yang means fusion of the bad and the good. And when you are able, two conscious partners can go through this process together, they can create a truly beautiful relationship. Unfortunately, most people in the society haven't been taught those principles. That's why I want you to uh, create new methodologies, new psychology, a new way of thinking so people can come closer together and also can overcome many of the physical problems that are emotionally induced. Let's get, get an answer. Let me give, give you an Provide me an answer. I sometimes will look at the older culture, the older movies, black and white movies in the 40s and 30s, and, and the shows that were presented. What was presented at that time was not sex, but romantic love. Romantic love moved our society for a long, long time. Maybe a thousand years, uh, possible. Romantic love was an essential element of our thinking system. And if you look at those movies, until very recently, romantic love was it was love, not sex. What is featured today is sex, right? Well, I, I would say it's a mixture of both, Andrew, uh, because you still have uh, some great uh, rom-com comedies and romantic films, but also you have a lot of films where they actually promote sex. Or sex is not even the problem in today's society. Uh, I think when you see majority of the movies, people, young people, take this illusion of wealth, what wealth means, and then also uh, uh, create decisions around the relationship when it comes to the lifestyle of this person. Until they meet the person, they are nothing like what they actually show on social media. 
You know, I work with certain clients who are who are influencers, you know, but in reality, they go through depression, they go through anger, through frustrations, through conflict, through money problems or everything else that they do not share online. And when this person is interested in this person and when they meet in reality, there's no match. So, you know, while while in today's world, uh, TVs and movies have upgraded themselves in all different levels of actually showing what movies are, I believe that uh, the heart recognizes true romance. And, you know, we know those feelings of butterflies. Those are something we all have it. But uh, the problem again comes, we have been taught to numb our own feelings. So that we That's become... Right. Numb, numb. That's right. It's true. Uh, Let me me ask you, you raised a good point, Tony. Peter, I hope I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but... No, no, it's fine, it's fine. Let me me ask you this. Isn't our society, where the emphasis is on money and materialism, to me, that is destructive of love? Um, I would agree halfway with you, Andrea. The reason being is that the premises of my teachings is nothing is missing, but also that you are born to be great, that you are born with this gift of God, whether you call it God, universe, energy, whatever it might be, it does not matter. We're all referring to the same thing. We have this incredible intelligence in ourselves, and we have two worlds that we belong to our material and our spiritual world. And for me, I believe any individual who empowers their spiritual self, their mental self, their emotional self, their financial self, their business career, socially, live a more fulfilling life. Why? Because, you know, I hear a lot of people, uh, universe is abundant, but then they struggle to pay their bills, they have mortgages, they have debts, they get divorced because the money is an issue. So it's not the money the problem. The problem is the psychology of the person who, if they don't have a sound psychology and mindset and know know how to uh, use this form of material and spiritual intelligence called wealth for greater good of humanity, they're going to become even more evil person than they are. But the money is not the evil itself. It's whoever is using the money that makes it evil. So there's a clear distinction in that. Because, you know, uh, for instance, I mean, we look in America, we look in the UK. Uh, if you look at, let's say, the healthcare system, which is something I believe everybody should have. And also, let's say, education. Everybody believes everybody deserves education. So without resources, you won't be able to provide those services. So that's why I, I believe, you know, to empower yourself financially. Why? Because when I've done talks on uh, financial um, freedom and helping people grow their finances, I, again, I ask simple question. So what do you want to do? Majority of people, they want to uh, they want to change somebody, uh, somebody's life. They want to contribute. They want to, you know, make the world better. And I ask them the next question. The next question is saying, so let's say you don't have money in your bank account and let's say you have a billion in your bank account. Which one will give you the opportunity to serve more people? That's right. And, and the answer all comes back to one billion. So uh, as necessary, I believe everybody, it's wise to empower themselves financially. Why? Because there's a greater benefit for all of us. Let me ask you this, Tony. Uh, in the United States at this point, this is my personal view. When people look for a relationship, many, not all. I don't know. I can't, I can't say what is in anybody's mind, many people go for looks and they go for money. And to me, those will not lead to love, but they do. Those are the, those are the benchmarks 
that some people, not everybody, that some employ in terms of finding a partner? Um, What's the money? In one of, in all of my books, especially in the Unfakeable Code book, uh, Take Back Control, Lead Authentically, Live Freely on Your Terms, I talk how we as human beings, each one of us has authentic values. And authentic values means 8 billion people out there has 8 billion authentic values. And two people, if they don't know how to align those values, they'll end up in a very bad relationship. But if people know how the value alignment can actually lead to a very fulfilling relationship, it's really transformed people's lives. Now, somebody who has a value on wealth, for instance, uh, and somebody who has a value on education, most, most of the looks? time... What if that person's values only has what it looks like? Yes, but um, a majority of the people who have contradictive values and opposite values, they don't know how to communicate. So in the Unfakeable Code, I'm really sharing how you can con- communicate in anybody's values. Why? Because, you know, those values, most people see them as challenging values. But there's the other part, which is the supporting values, uh, values which people are hidden. Uh, they have a hidden awareness of that. Just to give you an example, when I worked with a couple on, it, on their relationship, they were at the brink of divorce. Those are very successful people, which will cost them millions and millions to divorce. So they were referred to me. And then I hear the one individual and telling me how this person is all the bad person. And then I'm hearing the other person, how this person is all bad person. But in that conversation, I pretty much extracted what their values are through what they were talking. And I sat them down, took them through my process, and guess what? They went back together. Tony, let me put this question to you. Do you believe that any, a relationship will work or be successful where the values, as you say, the word is values, where the values of at least one or both partners is money and looks? Do you think that will work? Well, you know, there's 8 billion people. I can't really say one way or the other. Why? Because this is a very individual choice. You know, let's say somebody has a look. And this is, for instance, I've, I've met a lot of models uh, who I've had, I had consultations well, around this. Right. Okay. So their value is their look. And I've met a lot of people who have the wealth, but they don't have the love. Well, but they want the look. They want to look amazing when they go on the runaway or when they go on the street or when they go to a restaurant. That not necessarily means they have the love, but what they have, they have a companionship of basically she gets the money, he gets the look and gets the love. So, but you know, there's, uh, there's many ways of having a relationship, but true love is based on people who can integrate their values in a beautiful way so they can support and challenge each other as they go uh, together living and loving but you know better than me that wealth can be lost and looks can go yes absolutely so this those is are not, they're not going to be permanent values yes they are not not just permanent values they're not the they're not the ingredients that create a, a strong bond but the, the ingredients how, how long do looks list they, they last till you're 35 or 38 at least for a woman well maybe and that is all we have for this episode. It was great having here. To- it's great having Tony on talking about well a lot of things, and of course, as usual, Andrew asking a lot of questions. But yeah, I, I don't know why it you just shut off like that. But 
Yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess. And until next time, stay tuned for more.